Hello, this is Dr. Doug Wyatt, and this is the podcast series Considering Christianity as a Scientist. And this is podcast number four, Considering the Christian Life. podcast series was created during the COVID-19 pandemic in the United States and the world. It is a very strange and stressful time. However, conditions such as we now experience really only affect our bodies, our physical cells, enough affliction for sure, but our spirits, our souls, our hearts, and minds cannot be touched by a virus. I pray that all of you are well. What is a simple Christian life? Many of us have friends who are Christians. What are your thoughts about them? We will all also have many friends who are not Christians. What are our thoughts about them? What does that mean to you? Have you ever thought about this? If you are a Christian, have you ever wondered what others think about you? Are there things that distinguish a Christian? Many of my friends might disagree with me on various points, but this is my understanding and my belief. In our last podcast, we touched on the teachings and life of Jesus, the Christ, root word of those called Christians. Simply stated, living a Christian life is following the teaching and examples of Jesus in our relationships with each other and with God. Developing our Christian life while studying the examples and understanding of his followers as the early Christian church developed, seeking the Holy Spirit for inspiration and help, always being ready to explain and defend our faith to those who ask, worshiping, loving, walking humbly, and praying with our Creator God, and with all our energy, heart, mind, and soul, accepting that Jesus is the Son of God who sacrificed himself to save us. It is really that simple. I want to discuss these points. A quick web search shows that in the United States, there are over 200 Christian denominations. A denomination is an assemblage or organization of individual churches that have the same belief set and often have a centralized denominational organization. If you include the rest of the world, the number grows larger. How can this be when the Christian foundational beliefs were clearly articulated by Jesus and his followers? It should be a simple thing, right? Okay, following the teaching and examples of Jesus in our relationship with each other and with God. The last podcast discussed discussed the life and teaching of Jesus, but only briefly. I have sat in lecture series where just a couple of sentences of Jesus were discussed with background and history over several days, not because they were hard, but because they were so impactful. The teaching of Jesus is amazing because of its immediate practicality and down-to-earth understanding, but yet with multiple layers of meaning and a fantastic depth of understanding. Simple words and stories with in-dimensional truths, if you allow me that analogy. I will mention two possible examples. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount provided a new philosophy and meaning to all that everyone there had been taught. 
We would say he took it to the next level, although I personally believe he took it way past the next level. My example number one is Jesus' statement, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. I do confess that the geologist in me likes this one, but think about it. He compares those who would be his followers, Christians, number one, as being those who flavor mankind. Add that next level touch of quality, goodness, righteousness, and holiness, if you will. But salt has another property. It will preserve food. And he is saying that his people can preserve others by example and teaching. And then three, salt can change the properties of substances, people in this analogy, to something new and better. I bet we all have done the simple experiment for young students where we take a liter of distilled water and put the electrodes from a simple volt-ohm-meter on each side of the flask and shown that there is no current transmission in distilled water. Then drop in a single salt grain and watch conditions change to something new where now a whole liter of water will conduct electricity just from one grain of salt. Jesus was saying all of these things to those listening to his teaching by this analogy. He was saying on several levels that those who follow his teachings will change things for the better and to do something new. Another example is also from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is a tough one to consider. In the testing and question world, Jesus did not pitch softballs. He threw hardballs. This is very tough in today's increasingly polarized world where all the news seems bitter and divisive. In this 109-word statement, Jesus attacks common thought and teaching, current political belief, and even current religious teaching, and turns totally upside down all that those heard believed to be right. This is true for all the teachings of Jesus and what his apostles and disciples taught as they carried his word throughout the world. Next, developing our Christian life while studying the examples and understanding of his followers as the early Christian church developed. What does this mean? This follows what we just discussed and sadly is actually where much of the various division within the Christian church originates as people interpret the teaching of the teachings of the disciples both honestly and for their own purposes. What do we do as Christians? As you read your Bible, you will discover the letters from Peter, James, Paul, John, maybe Barnabas or Priscilla and others. These letters are vastly important to understanding how Christianity developed and spread in the years immediately after the resurrection and Jesus' ascension. These letters are written to newly formed assemblages of Christians typically meeting in someone's home in various cities of the Roman Empire, mostly those located from Jerusalem to Rome. 
You will read of the thoughts and interactions of various new Christians as they develop and how they were taught and how they are admonished. There is great wisdom and advice in these letters as all were developing in their Christian life and understanding of the gospel. Christianity meshes with culture on how people interact and gather, and that is okay. Exploring and studying the teachings of Jesus is a joy and will increase your heart, but also your mind. For me, I can't help but read and study, and my mind always goes to the next level of intellectual thought, all while my spirit is excited. The disciples of Jesus spread far and wide, carrying his teachings and his actions. Jesus had thousands of followers in the regions around Jerusalem before his death. After his resurrection, the number of followers responding to the teachings of the disciples, especially using the power and authority of the Holy Spirit, literally increased exponentially. And I have heard some of my scholar friends speculate that the story itself of Jesus and the events in Jerusalem, even if belief did not follow, actually spread at a greater rate. Think about a modern news cycle. There is a whole series of events that happened after the resurrection of Jesus and a mass response afterwards. Within a few weeks of Jesus' resurrection, the growth of Christianity became unstoppable. Scholars from Baylor University have suggested that in 150 AD, there were about 40,000 Christians. 250,000 Christians by 200 AD, and 1.2 million Christians by AD 250, and greater than 7 million Christians by 325 AD. A century later, Christianity was the dominant religion in the Roman Empire. This all happened before there was a Bible. Remember our webcast on the Bible and its implications in history, culture, and society? This growth happened before then by word of mouth and with a few original and copies of handwritten letters, not to mention the traveling preachers that were the disciples. All these people were just like us as developing Christians. They were taught the stories of Jesus. They were taught the life he taught to live. They were given the advice from the traveling disciples, and then they would accept the gospel that Jesus the Christ was the Son of God, born of a man to experience and suffer as a man with the weight of all sins of all mankind. He allowed himself to be separated from God to die, burying those sins, destroying them, and forgiving all of us for having them, then beat the ultimate result of the original set of sin, death. He was resurrected, taught after the resurrection for 40 days, and then ascended into heaven, and now sits on the right hand of God to intercede on our behalf. All we have to do is accept this, believe this, follow a simple act of cleaning our old self through baptism to become a new person, a spiritual rebirth, and follow Jesus. As long as we believe and call on his name, no matter our errors and foibles, he will accept and stay with us, and we will be with him forever. We also seek the Holy Spirit for help. I know some have an uneasiness about this. 
Is this a supernatural ghost thing? No. We have mentioned the Spirit in our previous podcast. As a Christian, a follower of Christ, Jesus promised that he would send the Spirit to his followers, giving them various capabilities they had not had before. For the apostles, it was a language skill, healing skill, and other unique capabilities. However, for others, it was teaching skills, leadership skills, wisdom skills, and much more. God gave, through the promise of Jesus, his active will to those who believed to accomplish what needed to be done. If you don't believe this work, then consider the growth curve of Christians we just discussed. How do you seek this help? Through prayer. Can you be a Christian without the Holy Spirit? Jesus said that there was only one unforgivable sin, the denial of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the active will, mind, power, and love of God, acting within creation. So if you deny that it exists, you deny the means by which God will forgive you. Ergo, you cannot be forgiven because you deny the possibility of being forgiven. So no, it is not possible as a Christian. We rely on the Holy Spirit. Christians pray. Jesus prayed and taught his disciples how to pray. All key people discussed in the Bible prayed. Jesus taught us to go somewhere where we could be alone with God, a quiet place, a private place, and talk with him. God will hear requests, discussions, pleadings, anything you want to talk to him about. When you are praying, the Holy Spirit is active and Jesus is interceding for you. There is no limit to what you can discuss as long as it is with a humble attitude before God. Most prayers in the Bible are quite short, but very heartfelt. A large part of praying is preparing your mind and heart and spirit to approach God where it is just you and God. For us in a very mentally active world, this may be the hardest thing to do. As scientists, we tend to evaluate and question every feeling and statement. God is listening to your heart and not the formulas created in our minds. Prayers do not have to be scripted, peer-reviewed, or have any flowery or fanciful speech. Simple, heartfelt, maybe even stumbling prayers are okay. Just talk with God. Christians universally recite the Lord's Prayer as taught by Jesus in one form or another, as sort of a guidance document. But it is very meaningful and useful and comforting to lead us into a heartfelt communication with God. It is a good place to start. Jesus taught that whenever two or three were together in his name, that he would be there too. Christians gather together to worship and for fellowship, social interaction, social support, and even just for fun. The forms of how different Christian groups conduct their worship are quite broad. There are highly formal worship services and very unscripted worship services. Some worship formats are led by small groups of key leaders. Some are ad hoc. Most range somewhere in between. Forms of worship are generally consistent within various Christian denominations. Most Roman Catholics have a style. Lutherans have a style. Methodists have a style. Presbyterians have a style. Anglicans and Episcopalians have a style. Greek Orthodox have a style, fundamentalists have a style, and so on. All are Christians and are a group who gathers with the same needs for a certain approach to worship 
that helps them praise God. These various group meetings for worship have been the reason for some of the most fantastic cathedrals, art, and music in the world. In worship, there are a few elements that have been practiced since the formation of the early church. Early in church history, Christians began to gather on the first day of the Roman week, especially as more and more Christians were coming from non-Jewish populations. However, some Christian groups continued to meet on Saturday as a replacement for the Jewish Sabbath. People gathered to pray together, sing hymns, sing songs of praise, read scriptures to learn, discuss scriptures for education and clarification, support and help each other, to welcome new members, hear news about each other and the greater church in general, celebrate with each other, and to share a meal together, actually or ceremonially. These things are universal as a Christian and appear in all forms of worship mentioned above. Christians look forward to worship gatherings. You probably know some or have attended some yourself. Okay, can you always be ready to explain and defend your faith to those who ask? For us as scientists, I believe this is easier than for most. We understand how to defend our thoughts and beliefs, and this is one area where I think we have an advantage. We are trained to reason and discuss, and we can use these skills in explaining why we are Christians. The hard part might be when we need to discuss faith, love, and why we believe that a man, Jesus, was both human and divine, how he could take our sins, past, present, and future, for all time, and grant us forgiveness. Scientifically, this seems foolish, yet the Bible teaches us that God makes foolish the reasoning of men. Our faith is just a bit beyond where our reasoning will take us, and I am glad about that. Very few of us are 100% knowledgeable of the facts, events, histories, documentation, everything related to us being a Christian. However, we know why we personally believe and accept that Jesus is the Son of the Creator died, that he taught and died for us, and in the process forgave all human sin for those who accept him. Our personal belief is all we need to explain and let God, through the Holy Spirit, do the rest. What about our day-to-day -day activities? Worshiping, loving, walking humbly and praying with our Creator God and with our heart, soul, and mind? This is in some ways very personal and in some ways very public. There are things we do for our personal relationship with God and there are things we do in groups or gatherings a church. The writer of the Gospel of John records Jesus as saying, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Expressing love daily to all is a goal. Seeking to help others is a goal. Being an example of goodness, faithfulness, and righteousness is a goal. Walking humbly with God, loving God with all your power, heart, mind, and soul is a goal. Loving your neighbor as yourself is a goal. None of us is perfect or ever will be. Jesus expressed anger, shouted at people, argued with people. He cried with and for people. He experienced anguish and fear. He went to parties. And since he had been a carpenter, stonemason, and builder, I suspect he was in good physical shape. Jesus understood and offered us forgiveness through grace, a gift, even though we did not deserve it. Grace is simply love and acceptance, even when it is not deserved. I want to add something here. As a Christian, being a Christian daily has some pretty good scientific heroes. 
Bacon, Copernicus, Steno, Galileo, Pascal, Leibniz, Boyle, Newton, Kepler, Lavoisier, Volta, Ampere, Riemann, Dalton, Faraday, Babbage, Lister, Maxwell, Kelvin, Jewell, Mercalli, Pasteur, Mendel, Thomson, Marconi, Bjorn, Heisenberg, Compton, Von Braun, Picard, Hutton, and so many more. Many of these, especially in the last couple of centuries, were even members of the clergy. These women and men excelled at science while being a Christian. In the brilliant minds of these people, being a scientist and being a Christian was not only possible, it was even probable and desirable. What makes being a Christian difficult? Well, we are our own worst enemy. On our planet, and I suspect as we venture into space, the only thing in creation that can act out evil is us. Man's inhumanity to man and our willful sinful acts in the destruction of what is good is isolated to us humans. Even those celestial beings who choose to violate God's instruction can only act on humans through us. There is so much temptation to only care for ourselves and seek our own pleasure that we do not have time to love our neighbor and walk humbly with God. We only love ourselves and maybe our group of family and friends, but not everybody. This is a hard thing to do when there are people in the world with hatred in their hearts and in their philosophy. We cannot love God with all our power, heart, soul, and mind when we are spending most of our time seeking advancement, money, personal influence, and our love is distributed between only a few and maybe our car, our job, or even our bodies. Our mind is bombarded with things that don't matter and our senses are overwhelmed. All this happens to me too every day. Humans tend to categorize and package things into nice tight bundles that are convenient and safe for ourselves. Too often we restrict ourselves to being Christian inside the walls of our church building or only with our Christian friends, but we are not contained by those walls or that group. We carry our Christianity wherever we go and all of the time. But we must try and be better than ourselves. We have an example and a path to follow, and when we lose direction, we are forgiven, can check our coordinates, and resume our journey. As a Christian, you can be rich or poor, educated or not, popular or unpopular. We are all sinners. No one is perfect. We will never be perfect, but we will all be forgiven. Okay, as a scientist, I would expect you to ask why live the Christian life? What is different than just living a good moral life? I have been asked this many times, and it is a good question, deserving of a good answer. Jesus addressed this. First, Jesus says that you must be born again. This sounds strange to us as scientists, but it is a metaphor for action. To be born again is to stop, dedicate yourself to Jesus, clean ourselves from the old existing world, symbolized by baptism, redirect and refocus our heart, mind, and soul to follow Jesus. Jesus plainly said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is step one. 
Step two is to follow the teachings of Jesus. And he says, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love him and show myself to him. Jesus created something new in this world. Christianity is not a rules-based activity and we are not to be timid. It will be tough. Understanding that we are something new, a new creation, and changing our minds to follow Jesus instead of the world. Loving others and following the teachings of the Christ and sharing our faith with others is a good start. The difference in living a good moral life, where in practicality the good morals you would follow come from Western Judeo-Christian teachings, and being a Christian is that you accept the author of those morals as your savior and follow Jesus. I am going to stop and add a personal experience. This is another experience that I have to gather my stoic composure to tell. It often makes me cry. I know the date exactly for this experience, October 22nd, 1966. I was 11 years old. I was extremely close to my grandfather. I had been staying at my sister's house during the day while my mother was helping with my grandfather in the hospital. My sister and her husband were putting in a new septic system for a washing machine, and my job was to fill in the excavation with the large gravel piled by the site. Both my sister and family were away at work, and I was there alone. I was shoveling rock when all of a sudden there was this enormous, totally saturating, brilliant white light. It was incredible, a light you could feel all the way to your core. In that moment, I saw my grandfather. He was traveling, moving from my right to my left, and was very happy. He was in a hurry to get where he was going. At his destination, there was another being, dressed in white, glowing, who was there to meet my grandfather. Both were excited, and I distinctly remember being so happy for my grandfather because he was so happy. The being he was heading to turned and looked at me and smiled, then turned back to my grandfather. There were many other beings there in the background, all I understood to meet, my, to meet and welcome my grandfather. I was completely saturated, filled, immersed, full of a feeling of incredible love, almost indescribable. I understood immediately and have considered this almost daily since that I was shown my grandfather meeting Jesus. I could never this deny that this happened or that feeling. I went inside the house and cried. About 10 minutes later, my mother called me to tell me that Grandpa had died. I told her I knew. He stopped, by to, he stopped to say goodbye. So much this experience has given me. To this day, and even more so, I know that there is no death of the soul and spirit, only the body, and that there is exactly what we as Christians say there is. To tell this story emotionally and physically wears me out, and I had to rest as I prepared this podcast. My grandfather was a Christian, a man who practiced his Christian convictions but was not perfect. He believed, and I received this gift. A doctoral theologian friend of mine with decades of teaching and preaching experience once told me that this experience was a wonderful gift that few have experienced. 
I was given proof and it has saturated my essence since and will into the future. That is why I freely share. Christians believe, as was promised in the Old Testament, that God the Father allowed all human sin for all time to be placed on Jesus at the cross. For me, it was not the burden of physical pain that Jesus experienced, although he certainly did. It was the physical pain saturated with the sin of mankind across all of time. Jesus took that sin, died, evil rejoiced, then Jesus beat it and lived again and sin was defeated. We just have to call on the name of Jesus, believe in him and what happened, and then live as if our sins have been forgiven and we don't want to sin anymore. Simple, right? We follow the teachings of Jesus and the examples of those teachings as they were carried forward by the apostles and disciples. We read and study our Bibles. We pray. We love. We gather with other Christians, but do not isolate ourselves from the world where we must be the salt and the light. We realize that we are not perfect, but we try to increasingly do better. We accept that Jesus was the Son of God and by his death and resurrection rewrote and redefined the human laws and concepts that we have and captured our sin for all mankind for all time into one miraculous moment where God forgave all of our screw-ups. As scientists, we understand this seems completely contradictory to any natural laws we know, yet accept that we don't know all then as Christians accept that there is a creator God and existences beyond our observation, but not beyond our feeling and sensing, and that Jesus, the Christ, is the doorway to both worlds. We must humble ourselves as scientists to accept that by things that seem foolish to our minds are the real deal. For me, I do not feel that my science is diminished by being a Christian, but is expanded, enhanced, and that our magnificent universe can be explored and discovered while our Christian values bring us closer to God. As science-thinking individuals, we want to know the what, where, when, how, and why of everything. This podcast series has touched on what, when, and where, and a little bit on the how. The why requires a faith that goes beyond those things we can see, observe, measure, describe, and calculate. This is what I hope we reach for. Something we sense and feel beyond ourselves and accept. God the Creator calling to us through Jesus the Savior, working through the Holy Spirit. I know that many of you feel, sense, hear, a quiet whisper, a deep sense need for something greater, larger, and more meaningful than ourselves. I want you to consider that this is our Creator God calling to you personally and to listen, accept, and believe and then I believe you will begin to understand the why. It is my goal every day. I am a scientist and I am a Christian. This was the last podcast in this series, but I hope for more to come. Thank you for listening and I pray for your health and happiness. I hope to have other podcasts and hope you join. As always, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name be the glory. Thank you.